Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'll invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Happy early Thanksgiving. Are you ready? I read at some point in time, it's been a while, so I don't know if this is still accurate, but that the average Thanksgiving meal is around 3,000 calories. I call that amateur hour, all right? I mean, you ought to be able to hit that up by about 10 o'clock that morning, all right? So next week's sermon is on gluttony, so Thursday, live it up, all right? We'll get back right next week. Uh, we are in Luke 11. We're excited to be wrapping up this portion. Actually, next week we will finish our series on prayer, but today we're wrapping up this section that's been through the Lord's Prayer, and I hope it's been as beneficial to you as it has to me to just walk through and see what God is doing as we've gone through this powerful prayer right from the mouth of our Lord. I've really enjoyed hearing your stories and how uh, God has been using this in your life. It's been a great encouragement to me to hear that as uh, we've been looking at this, but one thing I want wanted to revisit real quick this morning is the idea that this prayer that we've studied right here in this text is a little bit different from the one that you might maybe grew up reciting and that you had memorized. There's been a lot of questions throughout the series on that. So I want to just real quickly remind you that this passage here in Luke 11 is an altogether different teaching of the Lord's Prayer than Jesus has in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, a lot of biblical scholars and me, so I'm not counting myself in that uh, category of biblical scholars, believe that this this isn't the same telling two different ways, but this, this was very likely two separate teaching times on prayer. So in Matthew's gospel during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the model prayer. And then here in Luke 11, in a different town, probably in a different setting, in a different scenario, he taught on prayer again. Did you know that pastors do that from time to time? Uh, they'll teach on the same topic, the same text in different places. Uh, so that does occasionally happen. So uh, Jesus would do that as well. He would teach on the same things in the same issues from time to time. Uh, so I don't want that to trip you up, but instead, to me, that is a great encouragement. Because the only two times we have in the Bible Jesus himself teaching us about prayer, you'll notice he uses the exact same framework both times. It's not the exact words, but it is the exact basic outline. And the reason that's helpful for me is that Jesus was consistent on how he said, hey, this is the framework from which you ought to pray. But, but it's also encouraging to me that he doesn't use the exact same words both times. Because that shows us that it's not really so much about the words we speak, but rather the truths in the heart behind those words that we're speaking. So that's what we've seen throughout this whole series as we began with this phrase, Father, holy is your name. We learned that we have a transcendent, amazing God who is so high above us, yet that same transcendent God says, call me Dad. And then he said that we are to pray your kingdom come, which is a call to have our entire lives revolve around his kingdom, not our own kingdom, but his kingdom. And then we came to these three petitions, the first of which calls us as the people of God to ask the Lord to provide for our basic needs. Give us our daily bread. We've just prayed that he would change our lives to seek his kingdom that seems so revolutionary and then so simple that we just ask him to give us what we need for today. Then last week we talked about forgiveness. It's a difficult topic, but he invites us to pray and remind ourselves of his forgiveness so that we can forgive others. And that leads us all the way to the final petition or request here in verse 4. So it's going to be good. Let's do what we've done every single week. We'll read this together and then we will pray and ask the Lord to teach us to pray. So Luke 11, starting here in verse 1, the word of God says this. 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. You pray with me. Lord, as we've prayed several weeks in a row now, we pray again, teach us to pray. We have addressed so many topics, so many things that you address here. They've been challenging, convicting, moving, and Lord, we just ask that you would help this not be a neat series that we did, but Lord, you would let this become a way of life for us. Teach us to pray today and every day. We're listening. We're leaning into what you have for us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. Is it just me or does that seem like a really kind of a womp womp kind of ending, right? Like here's the final line in this epic series through the Lord's Prayer. And you're like, that's the closing line? I don't even know where that voice came from. Just the, <laughs> if you were at Bob was at the first service, he's like, he's starting off completely different. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think that's the spirit leading. That's what I'm saying. So I've got to rein it back in. I just got done praying. But it seems like such a random way to end this. In our Western eyes, we like things to kind of be tied up with a nice pretty bow to, to end it really well so we can all kind of say, oh, wow, that was neat. That was fun. Uh, but you need to know that in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer and here in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, in the original Greek manuscripts, neither of them go past this line right here. So many of you know if you've recited the Lord's Prayer, memorized it, usually what is there at the end? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen, right? We believe that. But the reality is in the oldest Greek manuscripts, that line is not there. Some of the older translations, like a King James Version, will have that line in there. But in the oldest, most reliable Greek manuscripts, that line is not present. Now, that's not to say there's anything particularly wrong with that line, right? We believe all those truths. We believe in that. We agree that his is the kingdom, his is the power, and his is the glory forever. We certainly would say amen to that. But that wasn't actually included in the original Lord's Prayer. But it was added later, again, just to kind of tie that up for us and help it uh, kind of sound better when we recite it in church and things like that. But here's what's encouraging to me. Jesus didn't give us that nice little tie it up with a bow statement. Why? I believe he didn't do that because he wants us to understand that prayer is not a momentary conversation, but rather it is an ongoing dialogue. Prayer is not just a one moment thing, but it is something that we should be doing all the time. So it may seem that this is a random way to end it, but the truth is Jesus is inviting us to pray in such a way that our prayer never actually ends. So some of you already are going to have to like go home and Google some stuff because it just blew your mind that we had that conversation, okay? But it gets even crazier than that because today this line that we are looking at and studying together is actually by far the most controversial line in the Lord's Prayer. So obviously I think probably the most difficult line in the Lord's Prayer is what we studied last week, forgiveness, right? That's a tough one for all of us. But we all basically know, yeah, I should forgive people. Like, I, nobody came up last week and was like, uh-uh, forgiveness is not something we should do. Like, nobody did that, yet it's difficult for us to do. But this one right here has been debated really for centuries throughout Christian history. 
In fact, even today, there are discussions about what this means and how it should be understood. And the question becomes, does God tempt us? Why would we pray to God, lead us not into temptation, when the Bible clearly teaches in James chapter 1, among other places, that God himself tempts no one? Some scholars have said this must be an incorrect translation. That's the only explanation. It doesn't make sense, so that can't be the case. This isn't really what it should say here in our English Bibles. In fact, Pope Francis has come out in recent years and said that this is not accurate, that it should probably be translated, don't let us fall into temptation. I, for one, don't think that we need to reinterpret thousands of years of church history because this confuses us. Now, if you're kind of surprised that I disagree with the Pope, you need to know the Pope's a guy just like me, except he has a much more elaborate set of outfits, right? I'm all fishing shirts, he's got robes, pointy hat for him, I'm all Astros hats all the time, right? He's just a man like me, so we can disagree. But I believe that there is a way that we can understand this that makes sense in light of the whole of Scripture. I think Charles Spurgeon is helpful here, and uh, Spurgeon is, is uh, Pastor Bob's favorite guy, so you may be hearing from Spurgeon uh, in days ahead as well. But Spurgeon reminds us here that the text does not pray, God, don't tempt us. Jesus isn't inviting us to pray, God, please don't tempt us. If it was, we would have problems, right? That would contradict Scripture directly. But instead, it says, lead us not into temptation. Let me read you this quote from Spurgeon. It's so good. God tempts no man. For God to tempt in the sense of enticing to sin is inconsistent with his nature and altogether contrary to his known character. But for God to lead us into those conflicts with evil, which we call temptations, is not only possible, but usual. Full often the great captain of salvation leads us by his providence to battlefields where we must face the full array of evil and conquer through the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that good? That's the reason they call him the Prince of Preachers. Solid. Here's the truth, church. Every day we are faced with temptation on this earth. Every step we take into a fallen world is a step into the presence of temptation. We encounter more temptations on a daily basis than we can even count. We're tempted to doubt instead of believe. We're tempted to disobey rather than obey. We're tempted to be thinking about what we're going to eat lunch instead of listening to this sermon. I'm just going to let the Lord just settle that if it's you. This fallen world is literally a minefield of temptation everywhere we look. And, and what we say here at Crossroad is what? That God's calling us to reach the world for Jesus. Reach, teach, and live, and love like Jesus. So we're saying that Jesus is calling us to go out into the world for the sake of the gospel, right? That's what we believe God's word calls us to do. Matthew 28 says, go make disciples, so in a very real sense, God is leading us into the realm where temptation is not just a possibility, but rather it's a reality. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're not asking God to shelter us or take us away from the world where we're going to have issues. And we're not asking God to help us not have to engage with the lost world, but rather this is a much needed confession for Christ followers to just say that as we walk into a world of temptation, Without him, we are going to be in a bind. So here's the basic premise of today's message. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are asking God to help us walk in faithful obedience. 
Walk in faithful obedience. I think this prayer makes so much sense here at the end of this prayer. As we've asked God to be near us and remind us of his nearness, as we've asked the Lord to reorient our lives around his kingdom and to help us depend on him and help us to forgive others, all these things we're praying could be for naught if at the end of the day we're walking in disobedience. So at the end of this prayer, we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Help me walk in faithful obedience. In a world full of distractions, diversions, and temptation, help us walk in faithful obedience. I think of what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Do you remember, a wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many are on that path. But it says, narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life. That's what it means to walk in faithful obedience, to take that narrow path, that road less traveled. That's why we're asking Jesus to not lead us into temptation, lead us not into temptation, but rather help us walk on the path to life. So the question becomes for us, how do we do that, right? That sounds great. So you're like, amen, yes, hallelujah. Lead us not into temptation, help me walk in obedience. How's that working out for you though? Probably not great, okay? It's like if I was like, hey guys, obey, all right? I have children, that doesn't work, and I tell them that all the time, right? It, it doesn't happen for us either. Lord, I want to walk in obedience. But how do we walk in obedience? I think as we think about temptation and as we think about what Jesus is asking us to pray, I want us to look at two simple truths that we need to keep in our minds and our hearts. In a world of temptation, these need to be on our mind today. First, if we're going to walk in faithful obedience, we must take sin seriously. We have to take sin seriously. We've already acknowledged that temptations abound in our world. Everywhere we look, it's there. We live in a world full of temptation. But here's my question for you. Do you live as if that's the case? Are you cautious in the way you engage with our world today? Are we cautious in the way we live our lives? Now, some of you would say, now hold on, Rusty. In Christ, I'm free. I've got freedom in Christ. I'm not worried about any of that anymore. I'm not worried about walking in this world. I'm good. And while there's a sense where that is certainly true, we are free in Christ. And because of his work on the cross, we do not have guilt and shame. We are not bound by sin any longer. But at the same time, church, wisdom would call us to think about the way we're living our lives. Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. And it's in all caps, so that means it's yelling at us, right? So let me, no, I'm kidding. You ever get those emails? It's like all caps. You're like, oh, hey, pay attention here. Ponder the path of your feet. What does it mean to ponder the path of your feet? It means to think about the way you walk. This idea is seen throughout scripture. What does Paul say in Galatians 5? Walk by the Spirit. The Bible is always inviting us to think about the way we live our lives. God says, look where you're stepping. It's important for us to do, isn't it? I love this passage because it reminds me of how so many of us, we don't really think about walking at all, do we? We just walk. We just do it. And that's why you run into stuff sometimes, right? Because you're not thinking about where you're walking. You're just walking. It happens. 
I've got an almost one-year-old. Reed will be one on Saturday. I can't even believe that. It's crazy. I know that's true because they told me at Mops last night that my kid was going to be one. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Uh, so <laughs> it went over really well that I was confused about that date. But it's fine. It's fine. Pray for us. Lead us not into temptation. Okay, uh, sorry. <laughs> testimony time. But Reed walks a little bit, but not really, really well yet. So he'll stand up, and you see his little brain going. The gears get going, and he's thinking about it. And he'll just take that foot and he'll take a step. He'll take this other foot and he'll bring it around. And then sometimes, like, he'll get stuck and he'll be like, I don't know what to do right now, right? And he's in that weird in-between where he'll stand up. He thinks about it for a minute. He's like, ah, it's easier to crawl. And then he just goes back down and starts crawling. But every step is very intentional. And I believe the Bible would call us as Christ followers to get a little more intentional about our spiritual walk. Some of us today just go through life without even stopping to think about the way we're walking. Again, this idea is seen throughout Scripture. This isn't just here in Proverbs 4. As Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Do you remember Ephesians 6 where we're called to suit up in the armor of God? If you ever noticed in Ephesians 6, it doesn't say, all right, this is the instructions for days where we have a battle. Suit up in the armor of God. On your off days, just wear you know, a t-shirt and athletic shorts. No, it doesn't say that. Why? Because guess what, church? Every day is a battle. Every single day we have to put on the armor of God as we walk into a world of temptation. This starts with us thinking about the way we walk, and part of that is taking sin seriously. I'm going to get in your business a little bit today. I'm doing it because I love you, all right? And because, unfortunately, I'm an expert in this. <laughs> this happens to us so quickly. I'm concerned with the way that many Christ followers today seem to entertain sin and temptation in their lives. Ephesians 5, 3 says that we shouldn't even have a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. You know what I would say? We shouldn't have a hint of sin in our lives. But, unfortunately, many of us keep a lot of hints around and we don't even really think about it because our culture accepts so many of these things that we've just begun to accept them ourselves. Let me ask you a question. Are you serious about sin today? Are you serious about obedience? Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 5? He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. So some of you are like, oh, Rusty, he's that kind of preacher. Here he goes. That was Jesus. So if you think I'm sounding a little dramatic with this today, I want you to remember the words of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm that radical with dealing with the sin in my life. But if we're going to walk in faithful obedience, we've got to take sin seriously and stop entertaining it in our lives. This dramatic language that Jesus uses seemingly is lost on us today. And I want to just present this case to you today. Not only do we tend to not be cautious about sin and not think about obedience, but I think we even intentionally or unintentionally find ourselves entertaining sin in our lives. How do we entertain sin? Well, I think that word entertain in and of itself is instructive there. I think many people today invite sin right into their homes with the way we entertain ourselves. Friends, simply put, I think we've let the world directly into our homes 
to our televisions, our phones, our tablets, and all these things. Now listen, I'm not saying you need to get rid of the TV today, all right? Uh, I'm not calling it a devil box and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I've got a 65-inch devil box in my living room, all right? Uh, And I said in the first service, Jessica, that's not the quote that I want put out on Facebook later this week, all right? Pastor Rusty Mott, I have a 65-inch devil box. It wouldn't look good. But he starts sharing, it goes viral for all the wrong reasons. But I am saying that we cannot afford in a world of temptation, if you are a Christ follower today, we cannot afford to be passive with what we let into our lives via all the different technologies we have in the world today. We shouldn't unconsciously take in content, but I believe that's what we've started to do, and that's the acceptable standard of the world, but we need to think about it. In this case, watching the way we walk might mean watching the way we watch. How many of you sleep with the world inches away from your brain on the nightside table, and when you wake up and can't sleep, isn't she cute? That's my dog. Uh, But see, distractions, what? And when you can't sleep, you roll over and pick up your phone and let the world into your life for a while until it numbs you enough that you can go back to sleep. Do you realize that we live in a world of temptation? Let let me just say this, parents of teenagers, you need to know that I pray for you all the time. I got in enough trouble as it was without having the internet in my pocket. You believe that? And, And can I tell you, adults in the room, I'm praying for you because you have the internet in your pocket as well. We'll talk about that much, but did you know that pornography addiction among men and women is at a staggering rate in our culture today? It's not just a problem with men now, it's a problem with women as well, something that many, many people struggle with. Statistics will bear that out. Temptation is all around us, and we let things into our lives that distract us and divert us away from the mission of God. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not saying you need to get rid of all the technology in the world. I, I love tech. I'm as nerdy as they come when it comes to all that. But we need to think about what it is that we're watching and what it is that we're taking in today. Bible says not even a hint. You know, the standard has changed dramatically in our world today. I remember when I graduated from high school and moved off to college. I lived in a house with a bunch of guys, including my brother. It was like a two-bedroom house, but it really was a one-bedroom house with a big closet that a couple of us stayed in. You know what I'm saying? Some of you have experienced that. And, and you know, I grew up in a, in a home where our parents very closely monitored what we watched and all that. And when I moved away, my brother had this great place, a great job at a place called Blockbuster. Have you heard of it? Uh, I don't know if, if Ethan's kids were in here. We'd probably have to stop down and take 10 minutes to explain what that was. But I think we're all tracking with it. So he got five free rentals a week. Let me just tell you, the first six months I was at college, I did some catching up on shows that mom and dad didn't let me watch when I was growing up. Pray for me, all right? I'm just saying. And I remember watching shows sometimes and watching whether it was language or violence or sexual things that I remember when we were watching those movies and watching those shows that I almost had like a physical reaction. Like there was a pit in my stomach as I heard that vulgar language or as I heard things and saw violence. I remember the feeling I had. But you know what's crazy? You fast forward, you know, as long as I've been past, I forget how old I'm getting, but that's all right. Uh, some, Some of 
you the fact that I said I'm old bothers you, but I'm sorry, right? But uh, like you fast forward 10 or 15 years and I think my standards have radically changed. Things that upset me as an 18-year-old, the world has slowly taught me to accept and it doesn't even hardly bother me. Watched a film a couple years ago and my little brother called and uh, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I just watched, insert name of film here. And he goes, oh yeah, man, that movie set the record for the amount of bad words in a movie. And I hung up the phone and looked at my wife and said, did that movie have a bunch of language in it? Because we're so immune to it in our culture today. So this is what I'm talking about. And I know some of you right now are like, yeah, I tell you, these kids these days watching all this stuff, all those, those shows on the cable channels, I'm glad he's talking about this. Friends, it's even the shows you're watching on regular old primetime over the air TV. The plot of the majority of them revolve around topics that we don't need to be thinking about. It's basically who's sleeping with who, but in different settings, right? In a lawyer's office, at the hospital, the fire department, like it's like everywhere. Apparently that's, that's our culture today. It's just everyone sleeping with everybody. And here's the crazy thing about it. Marriages are falling apart in our world today and we wonder why. It's because everything that we entertain ourselves with says that there's something better out there than God's design for marriage. And when our marriage falls apart, we're shocked. Friends, we need to be cautious about what it is that we let into our lives. All these little moments and things that we've accepted as okay or not okay, and it can lead us down a dangerous path. Again, some of you probably are like, yeah, that's why I don't do much TV. I don't know who has that voice, but you know what I'm saying. Some of you are like, yeah, amen, preacher. But can I tell you, I think every single one of us needs to stop and think about it. Maybe it's not TV and technology. Maybe for you it's a conversation with that person who's not your spouse that goes too far, but you've allowed it to. Maybe it's that lying about your business expenses because everybody in the office is doing it. All these little moments that we've accepted as normal and okay, but in the end, these are temptations that lead us to sin and disobedience. Church, we've got to take sin seriously. The Bible says we have a real enemy. 1 Peter 5 says the devil is prowling around like a lion seeking someone to devour. But what I'm afraid we've done in Western Christianity is we've turned that lion into a cute little kitten that we all think is okay. Oh, look at it. Isn't it cute? And it seems cute and it seems innocent enough. It seems like it's not that big of a deal, but then it kills you. It kills you. We've got to be a people who take sin seriously. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're asking Jesus to help us take sin seriously. Y'all doing okay today? Everyone take a breath real quick. It's hard. Some of you are like, it's Thanksgiving. You should be doing like Psalm 100, talking about thankfulness or something. But we're just reading the Bible, y'all. This is good for us. Not only do we need to take sin seriously, this is where the good news comes in. We've got to take the Savior seriously. We've got to take the Savior seriously. Listen, 
You could listen to this message, and, and certainly I hope that maybe today as we've thought about things, that the Lord has brought things to your heart and mind, that you're like, this is not okay. I'm being tempted by this, and I'm allowing it into my life. I need to draw some boundaries. I need to get an accountability partner. I need to get in the Word to see what it says about this. I need to really put up these safeguards. But listen, friends, you can build all the safeguards and take all the steps in the world to take sin seriously, but if you don't take the Savior and His presence with you seriously, Seriously, you will still fall flat on your face. So that's why I stopped and asked everyone to take a breath because some of you probably checked out because that got a little too intense a few minutes ago. I know how that goes. I've been in messages where it's like, I feel this, so I'm just going to think about chips and salsa until we get there in a little while. I've done that when I'm preaching sometimes. Is that what, I mean, never mind. Uh, it happens, y'all. But if you listen to the first part of that message and you're like, ooh, I'm really convicted, and don't listen to this, you will fail. You will fail. You can't just decide, you know what, he's right, I'm not going to live in that temptation anymore. No more sin here, good luck with that, bud. Good luck. But when we stop and take our Savior seriously... And we know that when Jesus died on the cross that all of our sins, past, present, and future were poured out upon him and he paid the price for our sins so that we could walk in freedom, it changes things. When we know that Jesus saves and that he walks with us, when we are reminded of his presence in our lives, we're able to walk with him and we say, Lord, I want to walk with you. Lead us not into temptation. Remind me of your presence because you have given me everything that I need to be able to walk in faithful obedience. So I am going to put these safeguards in my life. I am going to get that filter on my internet so I'm not going to things I shouldn't do. I am going to get an accountability partner. I am going to dig into the word to see how Jesus wants me to live my life. When you start doing that, friends, you have set yourself up on a pathway to victory. But it's got to start with taking our Savior seriously. Without the presence of Jesus, without walking with him, we're not going to be able to navigate a world of temptation without falling flat on our faces. In a world of great temptation, our only hope is a great Savior. I'm going to say that again. In a world of great temptation, our only hope is a great Savior. And he will not fail us. Aren't you glad of that? Like, you're not good at this, but he is. <laughs> he is. He is faithful. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're saying, Jesus, help me be mindful of your presence. Help me walk with you. Let me walk in obedience. Friends, that's a prayer that he answers. The question for us today is this. Do we pray it? Do you ask the Lord for his help? I'm just going to tell you this is a dangerous prayer to pray because he will answer it. When I say, Lord, help me to walk in obedience. Lead me not into temptation. Can I tell you what the Lord will start doing? He'll start giving you those little checks in your spirit when you're in situations you know you shouldn't be. And it's never convenient. It's right in the middle when you step down to watch that movie you've been eager to watch for months and then it comes out and in the first 10 minutes some things happen that you're like, I don't know. Can I tell you what the Lord's doing? He's trying to help you. But you know what you do? Probably what I do. I mean, I'm sure it's just, I mean, they always do this stuff at the beginning. It's going it's, it's gonna, to, you know, it'll be better in a few minutes. Or if you're watching a series on TV, oh, the first few episodes are always rough. You know, once I get past that, then it'll just be to the story. 
I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit for you, but I am telling you that you need to be mindful of the Lord's presence in your life. Because I think if you are, it'll change the way we operate, not just with what we watch on TV or what we scroll through on the internet. It'll change the way you have conversations with your neighbors. It'll change everything in your life if you would just actually start taking the Savior seriously and acknowledging his presence in your life. What would your life look like if you recognized that Jesus was with you everywhere you went? I shared several weeks ago the story of when I was in high school, my brothers and I were watching something on TV we shouldn't have watched, and we pulled the old slick previous channel button thing when mom walked in. <laughs> you think you're smart, but you're not, uh, teenagers. But anyways, she walks in, and we're like, oh, we're just watching TBN, praising the Lord in here on Saturday night. you know. And uh, my mom, I'll never forget her saying this. She said, would you watch that show with Jesus? And as I told you a few weeks ago, being the theologically astute young man I was, I was like, Mom, we did. Jesus is everywhere. So after I got in trouble for that, uh, we were able to kind of reconcile and think through it. And, and you know what? I, I do realize this. Had Jesus Christ been physically present in that room, I promise you the things we were watching, the things we were saying, the way we were acting would have been radically different. Here's the reality. He is with you. Every single moment of every single day. And when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, can I tell you what we're praying? We're saying, remind us that you're here. Remind us that you're here and that we can lean on you and that we don't need the things of the world, that we don't need the distractions, the temptations of the world, but we have your presence. And when you pray that prayer, he'll answer it. It'll make it awkward and uncomfortable at times. It'll make you look different than the rest of your neighbors. Unfortunately, it'll make you look different than a lot of the Christians in your life too. And you'll get some grief for it. People will kind of mock you and maybe pick on you a little bit. But can I tell you, it doesn't matter. Faithfulness to Jesus is more important than any of that. It's more important than any of that. Lead us not into temptation. Lead me not into the ways of the world, but help me walk in faithful obedience to you. That's our prayer when we pray this. So I want to do something a little different this morning. We've talked about temptation, but we've talked about a lot of things over the last few weeks. And here's the reality. It would be easy to say, well, that was a really neat series and just move on with our lives. But I don't want to do that. So if you're here today and you're like, this is the first time I've been to your, this church, or the first time I've been here at Crossroad, uh, you, you're just going to get a little catch up here. Can we go to this next slide that we've got here? This is a summary of this entire series. We've been walking through this week by week, and I want to just real quickly remind you of these truths. If you didn't get a study guide, this is on your study guide, and if you want to grab one of those, you can on your way out on the tables on the side of the room here. This will be available online this week, and I just want you to be able to remember what it is God has done over these last few weeks. When we pray, Father, holy is your name, it is a reminder that our holy God is near us, a transcendent God who is so far beyond us as call me dad. His presence is here with us. This Father invites us to pray, your kingdom come. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we are saying, God, reorient my heart and my life around your kingdom and your mission. Not my kingdom come, but your kingdom come. When we pray and ask God to give us our daily bread, we're praying that he would provide the physical things we need, our daily bread. But at the same time, really what we're praying is to make us dependent upon you. We're asking him to help us in that way. 
When we pray for forgiveness, we are reminding ourselves that the forgiveness that has come to us through the gospel, but we're also asking for the Lord's help to be able to forgive other people in our lives. And today, as we've talked about, when we ask the Lord not to lead us into temptation, we're asking him to help us walk in faithful obedience to him. Pastor Lathaniel is going to come, and we're going to do something a bit different today for our response time. Just seated right where we're at, we're going to have a time of guided prayer. We're not going to stay here all day. Some of you, that, some of you this is very foreign to you, and you're thinking, what in the world? I knew I came on a bad day. No, this is going to be really cool, y'all. And I'm going to give you just an opportunity to talk to the Lord. Maybe you're here today and prayer is a struggle for you. Well, today I'm just going to give you the chance to do that. And if you're here and you're like, man, I don't even really believe in God and really know what's happening. I understand that. And we're really, really glad that you're here listening. I invite you just to, to sit there and think upon these things. Think about what it is that God has talked about through his word. What I'm going to do is just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to be giving you a prompt. And we're going to pray through each line of this. And I'm going to give you a moment to pray considering each of these things today. So as we begin to pray...